Just a couple of days ago, I received an email from a psychologist and counselor named Dave Matson. I remembered Dave from conferences on men and masculinity in the 1980s when we were both involved in the pro-feminist men's movement. Dave's message said he's writing a memoir now, and I'm in it, which immediately made me nervous. Sometimes I can be a jerk, and while I like to think those times grow rarer as I age, I have little confidence in how I might have shown up in the men's movement three decades ago. Here's the excerpt Dave sent from his memoir. Some years had gone by since Dad's death, and there, there was no way to check out whether or not the stories were true. But on the second evening of the conference, something in a small group meeting triggered my strong emotional response to these stories. The rumors threatened my image of the somewhat idyllic home in which I thought I had grown up. When the group was over, I couldn't calm down, so I went for a long walk. It was a warm evening. The exercise got me more in touch with my body, and I began crying, walking faster, sobbing harder and harder. As I rounded the last corner and was approaching the dorm, I could see a man standing in the shadows leaning against the building where we'd enjoyed a concert of folk music prior to the small group meetings. It was Fred Small, one of the musicians who had performed. He walked toward me and said gently, What's wrong, Dave? As he opened his long arms and embraced me. He held me like a father should hold his crying son. For a while it seemed I couldn't stop crying, but Fred held me as if time was no matter. I could feel he would be there to hear me when I was ready. When the sobbing decreased, I shared the awful stories I'd heard about Dad. In those moments, Fred was my ideal dad, and it didn't matter so much what happened years ago. I share Dave's story not because it makes me look good. I'm actually more embarrassed than flattered. But because the story demonstrates the power of holy listening. Holy listening happens when we listen without judgment, without criticism, without condition. Holy listening happens when we take another person's heart into our care. Holy listening happens when we set aside our own ego, our own agenda, our own concepts, even of right and wrong, to experience another person's truth. Holy listening happens when we listen wholly, without distraction, without interruption, without offering advice, without making a joke, no matter how clever. Holy listening makes healing possible, not because we make a diagnosis, but because we get out of the way and let the soul 
heal itself. Beautiful, sacred, even transformative things happen in this sanctuary during our worship. But holy listening isn't one of them. There's just too many of us and not enough time or safety. And I think it's pretty safe to say that holy listening rarely happens at social hour afterward. One place holy listening does happen in our congregation is in covenant groups. Small groups of five to ten people who gather once a month to talk about important things, deep convictions, real feelings. In covenant groups, people tell their stories and speak their truth, and they listen to one another with care, with compassion, without interruption, without judgment. This morning, I've invited three covenant group leaders to share their experience with us. I don't know what they're going to say, but I know in covenant groups, each one of them has been blessed by holy listening. We begin with David Ray. Good morning. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Reviews of my past visits up here are mixed. Um, I do get up here fairly frequently, but it's usually to check on things like the thermostat, the uh, audio system, and the Wi-Fi access point. Uh, when, I, when we have readings that include Ralph Waldo Emerson talking about I-beams, I tend to think of the structural steel overhead that keeps the roof in place. I actually think we should arrange for everybody to be up here for four or five minutes just talking, seeing what you all look like from the minister's perspective. Although I'd recommend that, uh, to Fred's point, that you bring along something like a sheet of notes or something more than Las Voces del Camino to keep you on topic. So my topic is covenant groups as a locus for listening. And listening is something you're doing right now, but it's not really what happens in covenant groups. Listening from the pews to someone speaking from the pulpit is a little bit more like sentry duty, right? The words go by and you wait for that cue to start with a hymn or to recite the Pledge of Allegiance or have something to do. Um, Listening in small groups, in particular listening to one person, the person talking, again, has a very different kind of feel and significance that I'm going to try and characterize. But first I'll say, you know, we've had covenant groups for a while. We've also had a variety of discussion groups and affinity groups, and I've been part of many of them the last 15 years or so. We've had 
age-stratified and gender-inclusive groups like the, ironically, the grandparent of all groups is the young adults group, still going strong after 15 years, many of whom turned into the 30-somethings. A while back, a bunch of us formed the middle adult group, trying to avoid the term midlife group. Thomas Michelson even proposed a 60-something group several years back. We have um, gender-stratified and age-inclusive groups like the men's discussion group, women's discussion group. Um, we've had other fringes. We had a humanist group, an inhumanist group, a Zen Buddhist women's wrestling auxiliary, um, a discussion group for the non-proliferation of discussion groups. Again, covenant groups, and there have been a couple of different incarnations of them, have a different mission, really. And again, that is around speaking and listening. One has to come up with metaphors for what actually happens there. There's a lot of synesthesia when you talk to someone directly, when you hear that person talking. I think in the light realm, where when a person is really revealing something about his or her soul, it's as though they become transparent and they transmit multiple wavelengths and they radiate all across the spectrum. And your job is to resonate at all those wavelengths, to bring out more of that person, to help show them how they appear, to really get a sense of who they are. And that resonance, really to dramatically overextend the metaphor, I'm reminded of early models of lasers, which consisted of a rod with ruby um, materials and cadmium ions and a light introduced into the conversation. Uh, the rod had was semi-mirrored on either end and the rod would start to cohere as the light was reflected back and forth from one semi-mirrored end to the other and resonate. And finally, it would break through one end and go out and bring light, coherent light to the rest of the world. But that model of resonance is somehow what I feel between my heart and a speaker. There's also what you do with your body in conversations. I always feel like in a covenant group, when somebody is really talking and I have to listen, I need to face that person head on, even at the cost of personal comfort. I need to be aligned squarely with them. There are a lot of other things that we discover as we're listening. Some of them happen. They can happen any time throughout your day, but to have 
one point, one time during the month where we attempt to do that in intentionally, decisively, really makes a difference. Me personally, I feel that, I think more strongly than anything else, I feel as though I am commanded, passive voice, unspecified subject, I am commanded to understand as much as I can about the people I meet in this life. And that begins with listening. So thank you for listening. Thank you, David. Allison Altman. I have been a part of the Covenant Group since I came to church in 2002. In December of 2002, I joined a Covenant Group, and we met on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the second Tuesday and the fourth um, Thursday of every month. And I've been a part of Covenant Groups ever since. And for me, it's been wonderful because I've gotten to know people in a real deep way. I've you know, heard what they've said. Um, part of deep listening is filtering out everything else that's going on in your mind and really focusing in on what people are saying in a real deep way and just not saying anything when people are first talking. And then when we have time for discussion, using the I word, saying how I was affected by what they said. And I've gotten to know people in a way that I would not have had I not been part of the Covenant Group. And I continue with the Covenant Group today as a co-facilitator, which means that I, with another facilitator, work to make the group a safe place where people can reveal themselves in a way that they're not able to in other situations. When I say reveal, speak from their heart. And what, they, what people say is very powerful. And I'm very grateful to have been part of the Covenant Group program since for over um, 10 years now. Thank you. Thanks, Allison. Mark Watanabe. Will anyone really listen to me? I had no idea how important that question was for me. Like many of you, I have enjoyed the spirited and spiritual company of those who come to First Parish in Cambridge. Yet, my past experience with Unitarian Universalist churches have taught me that congregations can also be seriously flawed. They are institutions made up of human beings, after all. And one of our collective growing edges is to develop the capacity to listen with humility 
and with an open heart. My story starts at a time when I was a member of another Unitarian Universalist church in another city. It was a lively group, outwardly committed to a shared ministry between the staff and the laity, similar to what we strive for here in Harvard Square. I happened to befriend an individual whose gregariousness and creativity, while appreciated by the congregation, was accompanied by dark emotional turmoil. One day, my friend became upset at how another member was critical of a project he was working on at church. So he threw his work into a nearby wastebasket and impulsively set it on fire. Fortunately, the fire was quickly extinguished and there was no damage done to the building. It turned out that more than a project was ignited because of this incident. Fears and rumors quickly emerged about this individual that were previous left unstated. The minister was away on sabbatical, so the governing board acted quickly to ensure the safety of the congregation by issuing a behavioral contract to my friend that limited his future participation, but did so without any direct conversation with anyone who may have been affected by his or the board's actions. My friend, his friends, including me, nor even those who would have preferred that he simply went away. In short, nobody listened. At the time, I was the one who went away, bewildered and disheartened and feeling profoundly disappointed that during my absence, no one from the church reached out to find out what that experience was like for me, to observe an institutional rejection without a fuller understanding and in the process, feeling rejected myself. Fast forward to another time, I've moved on to another city and became a member of another Unitarian Universalist congregation that had a small group ministry program identical to what we call covenant groups. I joined one, and one month, the theme we were asked to reflect on, for every gathering has a theme, was disappointment. Now, one of the key elements of covenant groups is that a safe space is created such that every participant is allowed to share their own reflections on the topic freely, and the others are requested to suspend judgment or reaction. Their only direction is to listen deeply. Several years had passed since the incident I've just described, but the theme triggered its sudden remembrance and I spontaneously decided to share it with my group. In recalling the events, I was able to reveal my own context and meaning, including long suppressed expressions of the pain and disconnection I had felt. Then a strange thing occurred. I began to weep. I wept not only for the relief at finally being able to tell my truth, but also for the joy of being deeply listened to and knowing that I was truly being embraced in the moment. At long last, I felt that I was being heard. It should then be no surprise that I am a believer in covenant groups as a vital component in our struggle to achieve a beloved community. I have witnessed 
and certainly personally embodied, its potential for healing and transformation in a supportive and intimate setting. Truth be told, I think we all wonder at times, will anyone really listen to me? In covenant groups, we have the chance to address this essential longing and answer with a resounding yes. Amen, and blessed be. Thank you, my friends, for telling us of your covenant group experience. If anyone would like to learn more about our covenant groups, David, Allison, and Mark would be glad to talk with you after worship, or you can speak with Reverend Cuervo or covenant group coordinator Patrick Sullivan. Patrick, would you stand? And there's Patrick. Thank you.